You got a good attitude? You excited? You ready to do this? Yeah, Good. And you're right, Sean, I am the psychologist. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good to go. <laughs> Welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast, a podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and under our tables. Talking tabletop games! I'm Alan Girding, and with me is the apple of my eye, which I don't understand that expression because it seems like that would hurt with the apple juice, but I have with me Sean McCoy. Hey, how's it going, everybody? A ball of joy and emotions, as always. Actually, I think you're a pretty happy guy. I don't think of you as a miserable person at all. Yeah, I don't think of myself as a miserable person. I mean, I go through pain and sorrow like everybody else, but I think to start a company, you have to be generally pretty optimistic, I think. Definitely in order to start a company with me. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) There's just hope in the world. People who start projects, people who start, you know, writing books or designing games, there's like an intrinsic quality of hope and optimism there that you'll finish or that it'll it'll matter. Um, So anyone who starts anything, I think, has a little ray of sunshine there. That's a good point. I can't imagine some type of Burgess Meredith character. Like, I don't think so. I, that's, a, that's my Burgess Meredith? Oh my God, that's horrible. I don't think so. I, <laughs> the company sounds dumb. It will fail. <sighs> anyway. This is great because I don't know who that person is. So I can't tell if it's a good or bad person. You don't know who Burgess Meredith is? Mm-mm. What? He was the old, old guy. He was, um, um, Rocky. He's the... Rocky, you're a bum. And... You'll always be a bum. He was the original penguin in the in the TV show. Yes, he was the original penguin. He was in Rocky. Yeah, he's like the famous... Yeah, uh, Mickey. Thank you. God, I didn't even have to look it up. It just took a while. The whole tip of the tongue phenomenon. He's Mickey. You're a bum, Rocky. I'll never start a company with you. <laughs> anyway, so uh, speaking of being miserable... Last episode, we asked people who may have some misery in their lives to send us their queries so that we could give them advice. But I wasn't sure what to call this segment. We came up with some ideas of Sean and Alan giving advice. What were some of your ideas? That was like smart questions, stupid answers or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, or I was like, ask two assholes or assholes or... Something like that. I don't know. Hey, we'll figure it out. In fact, why don't we make that the question that you can send in a podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. What should we call our advice segment? Yeah, send us in. I'd love to hear uh, what people think. Yeah, and some people already did send some things. In fact, we had one submission for advice, which I think will take a chunk of our time on this episode. Sir Morgan, Sir Byron Morgan, perhaps our number one fan, as I like to call him. But he writes... I buy a lot of board games, especially at thrift shops. Should I keep the price sticker slash oil pen on the game boxes to show that badge of price and price scores, or should I remove them? I can't stand price stickers. I compulsively peel them off of everything. We just went to the record store with Reed the other day and got some records, and I was just peeling them off. Even on these, like, old, old records, I just can't stand pricing labels. So, yeah, I would absolutely get rid of them. It's not part of the product. It's got to be a kind of weird capitalist dystopia where you have to keep the tags on your games to sort of trumpet how expensive they were. 
But Sean, I think one thing you're failing to consider is the horrible residue that may be left behind or the horrible pulling off some of the cover if you pull off the label incorrectly. So does that make it worse? If you try to pull it off and then you have the sticky goo, white gunk, dirt, shit on your game box. I think you can use Goo Gone, I think is a good product for that. It depends on how old the label is. The new labels like from Barnes and Noble or Half Price Books or whatever, they peel right off without ripping anything. But if you've got like a pricing gun from the 70s on a game that you bought off of eBay or something, yeah, that might be a a more delicate task. It might be a lot more like last night's episode of Game of Thrones, if uh, any of you saw that. Might be a little bit more painful. Such a good episode, but how does this have to do with that episode without spoilers? Just, uh, you know, removing something from something else can be incredibly painful. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you're talking about, exactly. (laughs) How about those transitions in last night's episode, am I right? Lindsay and I both were like, oh my god, yeah. We freaked out. (laughs) So good. Really good transitions. Here's my answer, Sir Morgan. I think it really depends on your goal. And I'm going to go deeper. Why do we even have games? Why do we keep them on our shelves? Certainly, why do we keep them on our shelves if we're not even playing them? It's all about the joy that it brings you. I think we fall into the trap of what we own owning us instead of the other way around. You know that classic expression, right, Sean? Sure. If you're keeping the price tag on as some type of art piece and conversational piece, and you're actually getting that conversation and that joy from having that conversation, by all means, leave that price sticker on. Or if it makes you miserable seeing that gunk there. But I think taking a step back and looking at the gestalt picture of what is really bringing me happiness here, I think in the long run, it's totally up to you. Where is the line for you? And in the end, I think if we're all really honest with ourselves, the only thing we really need is the experience itself that the games provide. So we don't even need a good looking box. We don't need to know the prices. All we need is the experience. But again, if you are getting that joy from talking about the price or how you got this amazing game for only $2 in some yard sale, leave it on. That's your art piece. I think you have to look within to find the answer. And hopefully this isn't my generic answer for almost every question we get. Cop out. (laughs) (laughs) You ready for one more question, Sean? Yeah, hit me. This is from Greg B. So Greg B writes, Hi, Team TKG. I have a somewhat large collection of games and consider myself good at picking out a game for every occasion. A cardboard sommelier, if you will. What are those called? The wine connoisseurs? Sommelier. 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 But I'm currently stuck. I have an acquaintance that recently checked himself into rehab and will be there for a few more weeks. He's mind-numbingly bored, especially since his laptop is broken. (gasps) I think this great hobby of ours must be a way to keep him engaged. He's an older guy in his late 40s, a bit of a blokey bloke, a car mechanic, a footy. What's a footy? I don't know what that expression means. I don't know. Is this this like a soccer player? (laughs) I don't know. F-O-O-T-Y. So summarize this. What's the meat of this? Basically, Greg B. writes, he has a gentleman that is in rehab. He doesn't specify what it is. It could be for alcohol. It could be for some addiction. He's in there with other individuals. They're not allowed to have sharp objects, but they can have pens. He's an older guy in his late 40s. He's definitely not into modern board games, not into Euro games. So he thought maybe social party games would work, but he needs them to be sensitive to the population because if he's playing Cards Against Humanity and there's some people there with depression and PTSD, some of these may be triggering or traumatizing etc so what would we suggest 
Hmm. My go-to is always role-playing games. I feel like, I mean, I don't know, you're the psychologist here, but I feel like that's just such a safe place to engage with a lot of different ideas, right? I don't know he's going through, but being able to role-play out a scenario with the distance and safety of it being a fantasy world is, is huge for me. I really like the idea of role-playing games because if he can find his niche, he would really look forward to that. And I can see a lot of bonding going on. And as you mentioned, Sean, there's a lot of therapy there because there's something about avatar therapy. If you even Google it, I'm sure it would come up. If you're playing a game where you're acting like someone else and something's really working for that character, you're going to start doing that in real life. So if you're telling a whole bunch of truths and you find a lot of integrity and honor in your character, you yourself will start exhibiting those attributes. So I I think if you can get role-playing, it's a tough pill to swallow and it's heavier and requires a good group to do. But if you can pull that off, yeah, go for it. But... But I think we're looking more for what would be fun, right? Right. Distracting. Like If he can't get whatever it is that he's addicted to, he's got to be going crazy in the head. So what's engaging enough to keep him from thoughts of whatever his crutch is? Like I would say deception, murder in Hong Kong, right? But every item in there is kind of trigger worthy. Like we're looking at evidence and all this sort of dark stuff, but I don't know where the line is or, you know... I'm, I'm making a lot of assumptions about people who are in this facility and, and what they're going through. And so I don't want to like just recommend like some super bland game, you know. Here's my go-to. This is what I thought. Telestrations. Telestrations, you just simply write it down. Everyone's engaged. You can play it with very few players. Everyone gets a chance to exercise their drawing skills. I think the only problem would be if someone's going through withdrawal so bad that they have shaky hands, it would really frustrate them trying to draw. But in my personal opinion, that would kind of add to it because drawing the shittiest drawing possible kind of makes the game even more fun, in my opinion. Telestrations is a good game for everybody because it sort of scales up or down to your level of comfort. They were talking about Cards Against Humanity being a little too risque for this environment. But with Telestrations, you sort of know your crowd, right? You could pick your words. And so, like, you could play with kids. You could play it at a family place. You could play it, like, you know, with a bunch of drunk assholes. So I kind of like that for the scalability of theme. Yeah. If I was in rehab or something like that and I had a lot of time on my hands, I feel like I would want something that I could play over and over again, either like a deck builder, like Star Realms. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, like something where I feel like I could get good at it and I could, you know, like I love chess, so like sending me a Go board or chess board would be great too, but something where I could play over and over and over again. I would say like something like Netrunner because you've got the time, right? The complexity, it's not, it doesn't have to be a light game. You know, I've got nothing else to do. Right. So like I can, I can really get into it and focus on it and, you know, build my decks. But I feel like sending tens and tens of cards, particularly to a place where people are struggling with addiction is probably not a great idea, but a self-contained like deck building game like Star Realms, I think would be perfect for that for me. So the games that really come to mind to me that keep me engaged and I want to keep playing them again and again, right after I play the game, again, let's do it again. Two games. I know I sound like a broken record. Plato 3000, which is kind of mean because it's not in print anymore, but also Duel, which is also kind of mean because we haven't published it yet, but it is available for print and play because Duel feels like a game that is always fresh and original. It's so quick and simple, but I always feel like I could be doing better and learning more and trying to break the game. Everyone says who plays Duel, like there has to be a way that makes it so you always win, but yet no one's been able to come up with it. So maybe, maybe Greg B, your friend in the clinic could be that person to break Duel. 
definitely Greg B. If you reach out to us, I'd be happy to send you a copy of Duel to send your friend. Speaking of hooking people up, Sean, we've got another Nave Tonight submission. So please keep on sending in any advice you want at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. And also, we'd love your Nave Tonight submission because you're a Nave if you listen to this. But if you'd like to be knighted, send in some audio just as Will Bowler has in this Nave Tonight submission. Are you ready, Sean? I am ready. My name's Will. My story takes place in my sophomore year of college. I was in my international relations class, and my professor, a creepy old man who used to constantly make wildly inappropriate comments about hiding in the bushes outside of one of the dormitories and staring into girls' windows, decided that he was going to have us play a game. It was a royalty-free version of diplomacy. And it was sort of like the actual game, but it was hexagonal based and the different countries were, for the most part, about two hexes apart. Well, he breaks this up into about eight or nine different teams, each one with five or six students in it. And he explains the rules of this game, how it's going to go down, how we do our moves. And then he decides that the person who is going to be the leader of each of these countries was the person who was wearing the darkest clothes. Uh, We look around, and this was still when I was in my I hate the world stage of life, and I dressed in all black. I wore a trench coat to school and class and everything. Really, I just didn't care about anyone, which made me the perfect candidate to be a leader of a country. So there I was, and he starts off and has us do our first move before any delegates are sent out. So I decide that we're going to go ahead and just move over into this one blank space in between our country and one of the countries next to us. Then it comes time to send out delegates. I direct our delegates to go out to some of the various countries around us, but I specifically don't send any any delegates to the country that our army is in between my country and theirs. I notice kind of oddly that they don't send any delegates to us either. Well, after a few minutes of negotiations and whatnot, our delegates return. We discuss what all happened and what what deals they made and things like that, and then we discuss what move we're to make next. Well, I pitched the idea of just going ahead and invading the country right next door to us and taking over their capital, but everyone in my group is adamant about how this is a horrible idea, that it's going to kick off a massive war, and really just that it's better to be cautious and just slowly expand our country's borders, hopefully taking over land before anything really kicks off. Then it comes time to go ahead and write down our move. Well, I decide to just say screw it and write down that we're going to invade this other country's capital, regardless of what everyone else on my team wanted to do. We hand in our move, and the teacher goes ahead and simultaneously reads off everyone's moves, and on the uh, overhead projector, he computes where everyone's going and what moves everyone's doing. And then I see this look of just sheer confusion and stunned, almost admiration, rise over his face as he sees what my country chose to do, invade and wipe out one of the other countries on turn two. Now this was something he had never seen done before in all his years of teaching and all his years of running this game, and really it was it was something that he never even thought someone would go ahead and do. You see, he had planned on running this game for the next couple of weeks to teach us how countries relate to each other and how negotiations work, how things eventually break down, how countries stab each other in the back and lie to one another. But he didn't expect one country to be run by a heartless bastard who would just invade and pull a total Germany in World War II in uh, taking over Poland without any notice to anyone. 
So right there on the spot, the teacher had to make up some rules real quick as far as what the other country that we just wiped out should be allowed to do. Obviously, he didn't want them to just have to sit there and twiddle their thumbs for the next two weeks. So he says that uh, following this, they can go ahead and send out delegates, but really they can't do any other moves because their country no longer exists. So we go ahead and send out some delegates to various other countries. And the country that we had just taken over sends delegates to everyone in the few minutes that we have, just spreading lies and rumors about how we went against our word, we told them we weren't going to do what we just did, and basically just that we were the most evil people alive. It was kind of funny to hear all this because I knew the truth, I also knew that I really just didn't care, I just wanted to see what would happen. So we end up making our third move, and at this point, all the countries around us are just getting really nervous. No one has any idea what to expect, and there, there's definitely some grumbling going on from all the other players. My team members are not happy with me because of what I had chosen to do, and they're not sure what way we're going to be able to go. So we make our third move, and it's just into a random hex uh, to take a little more land, but not anywhere near any of the other countries. And then the teacher decides to go ahead and wrap things up for the day. Now, it was obvious this was something he intended for us to play for at least two to three weeks. But then the next class when we come in, we're right back into the textbook. Yeah, that's right. I broke his lesson plan in two moves. He apparently was just so dumbfounded by the move that I had made that he decided to scrap the entire project and just go right back into teaching from the textbook. Honestly, I was a little disappointed that we had to go back into the lesson plan, but at the same time, I couldn't fight this pride welling up in me knowing that I had single-handedly managed to screw up a lesson plan and break a game that the teacher had intended on using for education. I know, kind of a little sick there, but that was one of my first real experiences in playing larger group board games. I had no idea what it really was at the time. I hadn't even gotten into board games before that. I played video games and mostly RPGs and such, but my experience with board games was limited to playing Risk with my brother and some of his friends, which I hated because it taught me real early that you can't trust anyone and that people will backstab you in games. Then again, my brother in the motorcycle club he's a part of, he's known as Loki. So there's probably a reason why I learned not to trust him or any of his friends. So yeah, that's my story. What a dick. <laughs> I know, right? Another diplomacy in the classroom experience. Man, I've never had a class that has done any of the games in the classroom. Just like I never had a Photoshop class or a programming class because I'm so old, Sean. But man, imagine that. Coming up with a lesson plan, willing to play this game, thinking this is going to be really cool and engaging for all these students for the next couple of weeks, just to have Will Bowler come in and kick it right in the nuts. <laughs> I'm, tr I'm trying to think, what's the silver lining here? This is just a story about death and destruction. So do you think Will Bowler deserves to be knighted, Sean? I think Will Bowler's maybe like a black knight or a devious knight, but I think he's definitely a knight. <laughs> I love that he said he used to wear a trench coat. I agree, too, because you need to have some black knights in your corner, too. So, knave Will Bowler, take a knee, will you, and allow Sean and the rest of us Tuesday nights to knight you. So, Will Bowler of the Tuesday Night Podcast, and rise, Sir Bowler, and join the ranks of those of the Tuesday nights 
Anyway, that's really cool. I'm really glad you submitted it. It's a great perspective and it's a great story. It's, it's honest. It's raw. Sean, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Sean McCoy. That's S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. Please write us at the podcast. It's podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Follow us on Twitter at PlayTKG. I'm Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. You can find me on the Facebook and the tweets. And I think with that, we'll bring this to a close. This episode is... You're finished, Rock. <laughs> this episode's finished. You're bum Rock. That's my Burgess Meredith. That's good. <laughs> <laughs>